Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm going to open us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, for this time that we get to spend together in your word. We just pray, Lord, that your word speaks to us, that we uh, receive it and are willing to uh, obey it. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just help each of our hearts and our minds be open to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is our final week, the last week in January of our series called New. Next week, we're going to start a series studying through the New Testament book of Galatians. Now, in this series, we've been looking at Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, and learning how to deal with the things that might be standing in the way of living in our new life with Christ. Now, originally, I was going to narrow it down to three topics, but I think it's important to hit this fourth topic. So I just want to forewarn you, the topic is a little PG-13, uh, so if, you're, if you have kids that you want to boot them out of here and send them down to Sunday school, that's fine. Uh, the, some of the content could be a little awkward to talk about on a Sunday morning, which, yay, I'm back from vacation. Um, so, but I don't want to skip over any of these things. So in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, Paul is reminding the believers that we should live in our new life with Christ and not live like the unbelievers do or like we used to live before we trusted in Christ. So in Ephesians 4, 19, he starts off and says this, where he says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So he's talking about the unbelievers here now, and he says this, you know, they become callous and they become greedy to sensuality and to practice every kind of impurity. Maybe the, the Christians that he was talking to said, like you, some of you used to live like this as well. So before we get into it, I want to define a couple of terms. By definition, sensuality is the pursuit of physical pleasure Impurity, by, de by definition, excuse me, is morally wrong, especially in intimate matters. So Paul starts off by saying the unbelievers are known by sensuality and impurity. But then he says this, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, Paul is speaking to, to them and saying, I'm assuming that you're a believer. Now, I'll just tell you this. When I prepare each week to deliver a message to you, my assumption that I come with is that you believe in Jesus as your Savior, that you've admitted I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. He rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And because I believe, I will have eternal life. So I come to present to you with the assumption that you believe that. Realizing this, that there might be some people that come through these doors that don't believe that, that don't understand that. So each week, I also preach that, right? You can believe as well. So what Paul is saying to these believers here is, he's like, okay, you know, we got some stuff to deal with. I'm assuming that you have heard about him, were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now, this is very applicable for us in 2024. And here's why. Many American churches has, have loosened up God's commands. They've loosened up God's commands. 
and they've loosened up God's commands, especially with the topic of intimacy. Sometimes we even find ourselves thinking, do you even believe in Jesus? Like, if you're teaching people that, do you even understand Jesus and what he says? Because you can't just say, okay, I believe that Jesus died for me, but I don't believe in everything that he said, okay? I mean, granted, when you believe that Jesus died for you, you are saved, right? But in order to walk in the new life with Christ, we have to say, what did Jesus say about all these important topics and the way that I should live? So the topic we're going to look at this morning that stands in the way of us living in our new life with Christ is this topic misunderstanding of intimacy. So as believers, we have to have a proper understanding of intimacy, or it will stand in the way of us living in our new life with Christ. So the first thing that we're going to look at is this. Physical intimacy is reserved for the marriage relationship. Now here's how it should go. Boy meets girl. Boy likes girl. Girl likes boy. Boy and girl get to know one another emotionally and spiritually. Boy and girl realize they love one another. Boy and girl decide that they would like to spend their life together. Boy and girl get married. Boy and girl physically consummate their marriage. Boy and girl stay faithful to one another and enjoy one another emotionally, spiritually, physically until the day they die. Does that sound like a good plan? Yes, right? It's not funny. I'm not making a joke. That is the plan, okay? And you, you know why I know that's the plan? Because that's what Jesus said, okay? He didn't say it like that. But in Matthew 19, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees some questions about marriage and divorce. And in Jesus' answer, he gives the basic outline on how things should go between men and women. Let's look at that. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So let's break this down. The first thing is this. God made male and female. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? I know that this sounds kind of basic, but this is our culture, right? God made male and female. Okay? We don't dictate. God does. Jesus, this would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to say, well... Eventually, you're going to have a decision about 2,000 years down the road. God made male and female. The second is this. Biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. I realize that there is same-sex marriage, but that is not biblical marriage by definition. You may be married in the eyes of state or the country that you live in, but that is not biblical marriage. That's not the marriage that God created between a man and a woman. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, says those are unnatural relationships. I know this is really popular, right, to talk about. But here's the thing. God made marriage for men and women. 
The third is this. Marriage is a spiritual and physical union, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. This is where the physical intimacy comes in. Part of the marriage covenant is the physical intimacy with a purpose, purpose of procreation and the purpose of enjoyment. With physical intimacy, there's a spiritual component that God describes as the man and woman becoming one flesh. It's kind of mysterious, but this is what the scriptures teach us. And that brings us to the final point, and that is this. Not the final point of the sermon. I got a lot more fun to go for. So, (laughs) marriage is a covenant that should not be broken. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. If it's a biblical marriage, there's a spiritual union that should not be broken. So this brings up another fun topic. You might be asking, what about divorce? Well, guess what? They were asking that to Jesus back then as well. There are two New Testament passages that give two biblical supports or reasons for divorce. The first is in 1 Corinthians 7.15. I'm not going to go into the full passage because this is not a sermon about marriage and divorce. But the first reason or support would be abandonment. Now, Paul is talking to believers that are married to unbelievers. So apparently in the church in Corinth, there were some people that became, well, there were believers, and they were already married to unbelievers. So basically what Paul says is if the unbeliever wants to turn their back and abandon the relationship, the believer is free to go. The believer is free to divorce. Now, I'm going to take some liberty here, so I don't want, I'm not going to die on this mountain, but I'm going to take some liberty here and say that I believe that any type of abuse is abandonment, meaning emotional, spiritual, and physical abuse. Well, why do I say that that's abandonment? Well, the reason why that's abandonment is because you're abandoning the marriage vows that you take when you abuse another person. And that abused person should not be enslaved to the abuser under the guise of, well, God says you have to stay married to me. The second reason that Jesus gives is adultery. In Matthew 5, 32, Jesus says, in cases of adultery, the innocent party is free to divorce. Jesus is saying, you don't have to take that. If somebody runs around on you, you don't have to take that. You see, the bottom line is this. Within biblical marriage, there are parameters in which physical intimacy is enjoyed, and that's God's design. So I'm going to say something very unpopular right now. So either you are unmarried and not engaging in physical intimacy, or you are married and free to engage in physical intimacy with your spouse. See how that's not very popular in our culture? Okay. You see how people are looking at me thinking, Pastor Mike's very old-fashioned, okay? (laughs) It's what the Bible teaches us, okay? Here's what happens. People engage in physical intimacy outside of marriage, which stands in the way of living in your new life with Christ. People engage in these activities, and it stands in the way of you living your life in Christ. Now, I want to say this one caveat. Whatever your past is, give it up to the Lord. 
Ask the Lord to forgive you and move on. I do not want anybody leaving here feeling guilty or shameful for what they've done in the past. It's a new day. You have a new life with Christ. Now is your opportunity to walk forward in that newness. So what Paul does is this. He helps us understand, like, how do we get to this point? How do we get to this point? So Paul helps us to understand two things that lead to living for sensuality and impurity. It says this. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. This is our main text. Again, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. The first is we have become callous. Callous is insensitivity. Now, I grew up playing the bass guitar, and then I went and started playing the regular guitar. And one of the things I learned very quickly, and any of the other guitarists here know this, you develop calluses on your finger so that it doesn't bother you to play the guitar for a long time. It doesn't, you can play for hours and hours because your fingers are like, like almost like little hard rocks. But when you stop, all of a sudden the calluses go away, and then they become sensitive again. Well, that's what happens to our hearts and our minds. We become callous, and things don't bother us anymore. Things don't bother us anymore. So what Paul is saying, they have become callous, and the result was they've given themselves up to sensuality, meaning they took stuff in that made them callous, which that's what happens to us. So here is what happens to us. We've, things that make us callous are first what we take in. And I know a few weeks ago I talked about like, you know, the media, the social media and stuff, so I don't want to get into that, but I do want to make mention of this. What we take in. If you are taking in pornography, that will make you callous. Okay? And guess what? Not only Jesus is saying stuff like this, the world is actually finding this stuff out. In psychiatric studies, they found that men who looked at pornography, actually it impacted their brain. Okay? There's many studies out there, you can find them. They're, it's impacted their motivation and actually impacts the parts of their brain that actually help them make decisions. Okay? This is what the world has found out. This is what the world has found out through studies. Not only that, so the world is saying, if you look at that stuff, it's going to mess with your head. It's going to mess up your brain. But not only that, anytime a person goes to a pornographic website, they are supporting an industry that objectifies people and has links to sex trafficking and slavery. Do you want to support that? I don't think so. God doesn't want you to support that. So what you take in will make you callous. And there's studies upon studies about the callousness of people that utilize pornography. More importantly, Jesus tells us it's sinful. Look what Jesus says. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in her heart. So Jesus is saying, this is sin. The world says, you can look, but you can't touch. Jesus says, no, you can't, okay? No, you can't. If you are looking with lustful intent, that is sin. So what we take in will make us callous, but the next thing is this, who we spend time with. This is difficult because some of you have tough work environments maybe, the people that you're around, maybe tough friend groups or family members. But listen, men, if you, are, if you hang out with guys that objectify women and make inappropriate jokes, you will become callous in the way that you view women. Women, if you hang out with other women that complain about and belittle men, you will become callous about the way that you view men. 
Not only that, if you are a married person and that happens, here's what happens. The way you view your wife or the way you view your husband will be impacted by who you spend time with. Now, this is a favorite among parents, right? We say this to our kids. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts, ruins good morals. So who you spend time with will start to make you callous. The next is this. Multiple physical relationships. Now, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with believers that were really messed up. So this is very extreme example, but it gets the point across of people pursuing intimacy outside of marriage. And here's what happens in Corinth. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So when we're intimate with a person, we're joining ourselves to them. So if you have multiple relationships, you have joined yourself with multiple people. Again, I want to mention, if this is your past, leave it in the past. Ask for forgiveness and move to the future. But then Paul goes on to say this. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So now, as a believer, we have to remember that we're one with Christ, and we want to live in that new life. We answer to him for what we do with our body. So he's saying, flee from this. If we don't, we become callous. And the intimacy doesn't mean anything anymore. And if you're not married yet, here's what's going to happen. When you eventually do get married, it's actually going to have some impact on that relationship. But it's interesting because in this passage it says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. You're sinning against yourself. And not only that, if you are not married yet, you're sinning against your future spouse because guess what? You eventually will become one with that person. Which brings us to the final thing that can make us callous, and that is this. Doing things out of order. Now, this is going to be real popular, okay? <laughs> Many people jump right into physical aspects of a relationship. We live in a culture, right, that if you turn on the TV, the sitcoms, that's what they do. Every sitcom, even the most ones that you think, oh, that's where, this is what they, everything's out of order, right? Everything's not following God's design. Young couples put themselves in situations where they're tempted, and it's very difficult to stay pure, some young couples decide, let's move in together because it makes financial sense. And, you know, they have all the reasons why, right? And then here's what happens. They become callous because they're living like they're married. But guess what? They're still cracking the door, right? I could still get out of this. I still don't need to continue because I never really made that marriage commitment. Now, these are a few things that make us callous. And then because of that, Paul is saying the result is you seek after this sensuality because here's what's happening. 
You think your satisfaction is coming from intimate relationships. So then you start to misuse and misunderstand and abuse intimacy. And it actually starts to stand in your way of living in your new life with Christ. But the next thing Paul points out is this. He says, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Normally, we associate greed with money, right? But by definition, greed is simply this, an intense and selfish desire for something. So in this case, impurity. Well, how does this work? We're greedy to get what we physically want out of a relationship or an experience. So we see people do this, and maybe you've done this, or maybe you're doing this currently. People bounce around from relationship to relationship or experience to experience in hopes to satisfy their physical needs. And as a result, they fall into impurity. And guess what? If they're honest with themselves, dissatisfaction. Something that they were hoping to be satisfied by did not satisfy them because they stepped away from what God's design is. See, when people live like this and then they finally settle down and get married, they look at their marriage in a greedy way. What can I get out of this? What do I need and how can I get what I want? Because this is how they lived up until this point, right? If you live like this up till this point, then you get married, then you just look at your marriage relationship as how can I get what I want? So people become greedy. Rather than looking at our spouse and asking how can I meet their needs, they look at themselves and say, my needs aren't met. That's what people do. They don't look at their marriage and say, how can I meet the needs of my spouse? They say, my needs are not met. And in some cases, they might say, now I'm hitting the road. So Paul deals with how husbands and wives should view intimacy. I'm not going to leave the married people out, of course, right? We hit everybody else. Might as well hit the married people now, right? So 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about this. And he says, first he starts off and he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So Paul is a single man and, you know, they obviously wrote to him, asked him a bunch of questions and he's saying, you know what? It's good to be single. It's actually good to be single. This is not just for men, but men or women. It's good to be single. So he starts off dealing with this issue of being single and how single people, excuse me, should abstain from sexual relationships in marriage, outside of marriage. But then he moves into marriage, and he says this. But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Good thing we're not stopping there. <laughs> likewise... The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. See how this goes? So intimacy in marriage should not be about getting what you want and being greedy, but it should be more about meeting the needs of your spouse. That's what Paul is saying here. The oneness that a husband and wife, a man and a woman share is about meeting one another's needs, not about being greedy to get your own needs met. 
So then he goes on and says, Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul reminds them of the spiritual components. If one spouse is depriving another spouse, you are giving Satan an opportunity to tempt the deprived spouse to look for intimacy outside of marriage. Now, some of you are like, this is crazy. Like Satan, what's going on here? Well, remember, marriage is a symbol of the unification between Christ and his church, how Christ loves us, the bride. So basically, what this is saying here is Satan wants to attack marriage. (laughs) Well, well, well. I think he's doing a pretty darn good job, right? I mean, when I was preparing this before I left from vaca- for vacation, right? Normally, I don't mind coming back from vacation and going back to work. I was like, really? I got to preach this <laughs> when I get back? <laughs> Couldn't I leave on this, right? But here's the thing. Why did I feel that way? Because I know there is no cultural support, right? There's biblical support all day long. And that's what I have to rest my confidence in. And that's what we have to rest our confidence in. This is God's design. So essentially, in marriage, you shouldn't be greedy for what you want, but get this, you shouldn't be greedy with what you have. That's what, that's what the scripture is teaching us. You shouldn't be greedy for what you want, but you shouldn't be greedy with what you have. Remember, you and your spouse, married people, are one flesh. You answer to one another under God. So when we have a proper understanding of God's design for physical intimacy, we will be able to walk in our new life that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for each person that's here. We're thankful, Lord, that we can deal with difficult things that the world may even think are antiquated, traditional, crazy in some senses. But we know what your word has to say, and we hold fast to what your word has to say. So we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.